question really is, what do we do about that when we walk away? Do we remember what God told us and do something about it? Or we just kind of forget and go back to whatever it is that we used to do before we ever came, before we ever learned those things. So part of my job, part of my duty, part of my calling before God for you is to help you not forget. It's to put you in remembrance of things. So if you've been a faithful uh, member and a student of God's Word for some time, the things we'll talk about won't be new, but it will be a good reminder. And if you're newer to the faith, then maybe some of the things will be new and it'll be an encouragement to you as well. So that's what we want to do. We want to not forget the mission. That's kind of the title for today. Don't forget the mission. And so let's look in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And we have the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy as he starts off this book, his last book chronologically in his life. And in verse number 3, Paul says this, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, speaking to Timothy, greatly desiring to see thee, being mindful of thy tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also, and really verse 6 is what I want us to see, wherefore I put thee in remembrance that thou stir up the gift of God, which is in thee by the putting on of my hands. And you know what I believe God wants to do in our church in 2013 in the lives of many of you, and each of you judge based on whatever God tells you today, is that it's time to stir back up the gift that God has already given you. God's done some amazing things in your lives. God has done some great change and he has done some wonderful things in your lives. And, and maybe you're here today and you would say, you know what, I, I know that and I'm thankful for that. But somehow along the way, I didn't mean for it to be this way, but I kind of let it go. And it's kind of laid dormant for a while. Can I just encourage you that this year be the beginning of stirring that up and being a doer of God's word. Listen, First Baptist Church has a rich heritage of having outstanding Bible teaching for years and years and years. And those of you who have been here for a long time, uh, you can attest to that. You are a product of that. You understand a lot of things from God's word because God has been very good to you by providing good, solid Bible teaching. Amen. And that's an important thing. You have to know what God says in order to be able to do what God says. But I, in my position, continually see a growing number of people who just, well, quite frankly, make bad decisions. And I know that partly because I deal with people a lot and, and I do a lot of counseling. But even not, if not directly, indirectly, I'm aware of what a lot of people are doing and a lot of things that are going on. And you know what? People just make bad choices. And, and bad choices in small areas add up to one day having something really bad happen and you're so far off track you don't even realize what happened. And, and how is it that that happens? How is it that we could know so much? How is it that we could sit in a place and hear the rich teaching week after week and to see ourselves in the mirror of God's Word and yet somehow along the line be a forgetful hearer? But that happens. It happens. And so... Obviously, I'm not commenting on any specifics, but I do want to kind of give you a big picture. I do kind of want to give you a glimpse and an idea of what I see going forward. Listen, for me, 2012 was by far the most fun year, okay, that I've had since I've been here. And, and we have worked very hard to 
worked through some struggles as a church body. We've worked very hard to set in place some structures and some systems that facilitate real, sustained biblical growth. We've seen people's lives change, people surrender to the Lord. We, we've seen some tremendous things that God has done. And I believe that we are right now positioned strategically to really be able to go out and make a difference in this world, in our lives, in the lives of others, and all around the planet. I, I believe that now is the time to do that rather than later. And, and that that's where we literally are. But listen, as we approach this year, as we come off of this last year of really getting to that point of what I consider to be pretty exciting, I, can I tell you God is pleased with that? Can I, can I tell you that the devil is not uh, I'm excited that God is pleased. I'm excited that the devil is not. But do you know that the devil is not dead either? And that he's actively looking to bring down what God is trying to do? You've heard the expression that a chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Well, just consider this, that in, in, in the linkage that makes up the chain of First Baptist Church, that the devil will certainly try to attack those that he might judge to be weaker links because it's an easier target quite frankly and i'm not pointing fingers at anybody i just want you to consider for yourself hey i want to make sure that i'm not that guy i want to make sure that i'm not the weak link i'm going to make sure that i don't have have such a a weak uh um status of of my relationship with the lord that that these these attacks that come at me i, I can't handle them and they devastate me i want to walk with god i want to grow i want to be strong and that's an important thing, and, and now is really the time to do that. I believe that with all my heart. Listen, I know we, a lot of people laughed and joked and Facebooked about all the end of the world and December 21st and the Mayan calendar and all that kind of stuff, but, but, and we don't know when the end is going to be, but, but listen, uh, whatever, whatever you think about all that stuff, one thing's absolutely for sure, every day that clicks off, we're a day closer to the end, and you don't know when the end's going to come. And those of you that are students of Bible prophecy, you know that the end is probably closer than further, right? I mean, it's coming for sure. And you don't know. It's possible that something could happen. God could call all the church home in 2013 and enter into the seven-year tribulation. That's possible for sure. And so I want us to just consider this mission. I want us to consider what it is we're looking at and so this is the big picture and that's what we're going to look at first the big picture now in our church we put together the vision of the picture as as a as a diagram it's a it looks like a balance scale okay and if you've been here for any time you've seen this before and when we go through this we've gone through this in the past with great detail and i'm not going to do that this morning i just want you to see that the way we lay out our values in this church can be graphically depicted by a balance bible says in proverbs chapter 11 that a false balance is an abomination to the lord Okay, and so we want to have everything that we have in balance And so we have on one side the value that deals with love and we have on the other side the value that deals with sharing And in the middle the fulcrum is is the growth It's it's based on the foundation of the word of god And so with this with this diagram, it certainly is a balanced diagram. I promise you it is biblically based and uh, Besides that it looks really cool. So um, we got that going on but from our mission statement, we want to make a difference. Okay, that comes from Jude and verse number 22, and of some having compassion, making a difference. We want to make a difference in this world, and the first thing that we say is by loving as Jesus loved. And so what does that mean? Let's look at that, to love as Jesus loved. It's the left side of this balance. Now, 
for those of you that are Bible students and those of you that are not Bible students, you need to understand one thing. One of the greatest words in all the Bible. I mean, the Bible is awesome and it's full of great words. And if you were to pick, what are the one or two greatest words in all the Bible? That's kind of a cool thought. I'm going to tell you that one of the greatest words to help you understand God's message in all the Bible is the word as or the word like. Because the word as or the word like is a word that gives us illustration. So God tells us, look, he wants us to love as Jesus loves. So if we can understand how Jesus loved, then we can know how we're supposed to love. It's just that simple, right? As and like. So that's really important. So we're going to ask the question, how did Jesus love? How did Jesus demonstrate his love toward us? Well, any one of these subjects, we could take weeks and study it. It would be awesome. But very quickly, in a word, the answer to that question is sacrificially. Jesus Christ demonstrated his love to us sacrificially, right? I mean, he died on the cross to pay for our sins. I want us to look at one specific passage of scripture. It's in Philippians chapter two. If you have your Bibles, you can look there. Philippians chapter two, and we're going to start in verse number five. Philippians 2, 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What exactly is this mind that was in Christ Jesus? Who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So check this out. Jesus Christ, the eternal God, the Son, the second person of the Holy Trinity, lived in eternity past in heaven with the Trinity in perfect joy and bliss and harmony, willingly left glory and came to planet Earth in a moment of time as a little bitty, ba little bitty baby. We celebrated that just last month. Okay, And, and he comes as an infant child who needs to be cared for by his creation, which, by the way, has fallen into a sinful state. And, and he lives his life perfect and sinless, and he grows, and he has this ministry of miracles and proving who he really is. And when he did all of that, he ultimately demonstrated all of that, living among sinful man by humbling himself and serving others and being obedient to the will of the Father. And in fact, the Bible says very clearly how that he willingly laid his life down. No man took it from him. And he laid aside his desires, his will, for the will of God and for the good of other people. Like Jesus prayed and he said, Father, not my will, but thy will. And so Jesus as a man had a will that was different than the Father, but he submitted his will to the will of God in order to die so that we could have eternal life. By the way, aren't you glad he did that? Aren't you thankful today, and we're all here today praising God, why? Because he did that, because he loved in that manner, because he was sacrificial, because he did not count his life dear to him, that he willingly laid it down, and he did that for us. 
you know what? I think sometimes we who know that, we who wholeheartedly would have just said amen to that, sometimes take it for granted. We sometimes just say, oh yeah, I got it. I got my, I got my fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. And we kind of take for granted all that he did and continues to do, by the way, for us. So that's how Jesus loved us in a word. As Jesus loved, that's how we want to love others, sacrificially. So let's back up a few verses in this same passage, Philippians chapter 2, but now we're going to start at verse number 1. Because the way the passage is written, it's directed to us first and then gives the example of Jesus. I want to give you the example of Jesus first. Now we'll talk about us. Philippians 2 and verse number 1. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having noticed the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And here's how it's going to play out. Verse number three. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And again, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What did Jesus do? He left a very comfortable life, if I can say it that way, to come to a sinful world and humble himself and and sacrifice and ultimately die so that others can be benefited, so that we could be benefited. Let this mind also be in you. Let, Let us have the same love. Let each esteem other better than himself. You know what? Y'all, that ain't, that's, that's hard. <laughs> and let me tell you how I know it's hard. Because speaking for myself and sp- speaking for you, I, I love me a lot. <laughs> I, I just do. I mean, I, I mean it's, it, it's hard. It'd be hard to find anybody who loves me more than me. I mean, except Jesus, you know. I mean, really. I mean, if there's, a, if there's a, a, a picture of a parade in downtown New Philly and I'm in the crowd and my, my little face is here and there's the band going across, I'm, I'm finding me first. That's my hat, man. That's me. I love me. I work for me. I feed me. I take me places. I spend money on me. I love me. <laughs> and you love you. That's, that's natural. I get it. But how about we begin to consider God's will, not necessarily ours, others, not necessarily ourselves, and to esteem others better than ourselves with lowliness of mind, humility, obedience, self-sacrifice, and ultimately what the Bible would call dying to self. Not, not physical death, but, but the death of your will. The willingness to lay aside your personal will and desires and benefits for the greater good of others that others may benefit. That's exactly what he's talking about. So my question for you today would be, what are your personal desires? What are the aspirations that you have in life? 
I'm not trying to say they're evil. I'm just asking you to consider what are they. What are the things that you value? Think of it this way. What are the things that you value truly, but that also maybe keep you from loving others the way Jesus did? When I look at this question and, and this, this, this issue, I come, with, come up with a list of three, the big three, as I call them, okay? And, and they're alliterated, so it's easy to remember. Okay, the first one, family. You know, we love our families. and ought to. It's awesome. But can I tell you that God did not give you your family and your precious children and grandchildren in order to keep you from serving him and one another. Do you understand that? That's not why he gave you those kids. We do that, though. We say, wow, you know, but I, I mean, I'm so busy with my family and, and my kids got, you know, 32 activities I got to drive them to and I just don't have time. I, I get it. I do. And there's a lot of wonderful things to be involved in. You, you might want to weed it down to less than 32. Consider your ways. Consider what God would have you do. Fan, listen, God did not give you your family so that you could say, look, I... I can't serve others. I'm too, I can't serve the body of Christ. I can't serve the family of the church because I'm too busy with mine. By the way, anytime that big mind shows up, you kind of ought to be careful. The, the next thing that starts with an F, we had family. How about, how about finances? And I understand in the economy, a lot of people are really hard strapped and they're doing all they can just to make it. And, and listen, that's a very real issue. But some people are just consumed with career and making money. And their life is all about just a little bit more. And so they work more and more hours and overtime and double jobs to make more money, to buy more stuff, to make more payments. And before you know it, there's nothing left. And we have more and more available to us, and yet we have less and less opportunity, and that becomes our excuse to not serve and not love the way Christ wants us to. How about the last one? Fun. Recreational activities. And so after we get done with all the work that we have to do and all the duties we have toward our family and to demonstrate love toward them, man, I just need some time off. I got this as my favorite hobby. And listen, we all got hobbies. I got hobbies. But if you take every spare moment to spend on, well, yourself, where does loving as Christ loved fit into that picture? That, that's the bulk of what I see in most people's lives. Listen, these are the most common areas that, and, I, and I'm not being facetious or sarcastic. People wonder sometimes I'm being sarcastic all the time. I don't know where they get that. Why are you laughing? Hurt my feelings. But good Christian people, and I mean that, good Christian people let these three big things squeeze their whole schedule in life that before you know it, I got nothing left. I mean, it's, it's cool that you could show up here at 10.30 for an hour and a half. And, and I just want you to consider that there's more than that. There's more than that. Can I tell you that the single greatest act of love that anybody, any human being, not Jesus, any regular human being has ever shown to me was when on the campus of Arkansas State University in August of 1983, 
a little short blonde-haired guy with a mustache named Carol Baker knocked on my dormitory room door and asked me if I knew if I was going to heaven when I died and shared the gospel with me, and I got saved. That's the single greatest act of love anybody's ever shown me. I'll never forget Carol Baker. Never will. I keep in contact with him, actually. And can I tell you that as a result of that, the single greatest thing that I could do for anybody else is to do likewise. You want to love as Jesus loved? Consider demonstrating that love in ways that maybe cause you to sacrifice a little, that cause you to put aside those three things that start with F are good things. They're okay in moderation so that you make sure that you can do the most important things. And that leads us into our, our next thing. And we're going to jump to the other side of the diagram, which is to share his message with the world. Okay? Sharing his message with the world is a very simple thing to understand. And yet somehow or another, it becomes a very difficult thing for us to actually do, isn't it? Why is it that each of us lives in this great big world full of people who don't believe and are on their way to hell, according to the scriptures, very clearly on the wrong path, and they're surrounding us every day at work and our activities and the places and all the things we do, and somehow or another we feel intimidated and never open our mouths to just tell them about God's love. I know it's intimidating. I know it's hard to get the conversation started. I know that sometimes, boy, if, if they'll just ask me, I could tell them, but boy, just starting that conversation is kind of awkward. I, I get it, but you know that that's, that's really what we're supposed to do. That's what God wants us to do. It's our mission. It's our co-mission with him to do that. And, and you know what? We are surrounded by opportunities. Listen, you may love your job and your home and your community and everything about you that you've set up in your life, and that's awesome. And you may not love it at all. You may be very frustrated and wish you had a different job and wish you were in a different place, and, and you're just not satisfied. But can I tell you that today you're here, and you're in that job, and you're in that community, and you're in that surroundings of friends and acquaintances for a reason. Bloom where you're planted. Produce fruit for Christ with the people that are around you. God has you in the midst of those pagans for a reason. To be a blessing, to show his love, to share his message. Uh, just studying this subject, I came up with three items, three parallels that come straight out of the scripture, just as simple as can be. I just want to share them with you just to, just to give you something to think about. And, and the first one is this, because these impacted me, and hopefully it'll help you as well. The first one is, sharing the gospel with others is a natural result of following Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19, Jesus, he saith unto them, follow me, notice, and I will make you fishers of men. It's a very clear statement that everyone that responds, if you follow Jesus, you will be a fisher of men. Is that clear? Is that obvious? If you, therefore, I, I always like to look at it then in the corollary. If, therefore, you find yourself honestly looking into the mirror of God's word, considering your own heart and your life and your actions, if you are not actively fishing for men, are you really a follower of Jesus? I'm not questioning, are you saved? 
I'm saying, are you actively following Christ? Christ is, is moving. He's walking. He's, he's going from place to place. His life is about action and movement and new people and places and things. And he's moving. And you can't just stand still. And You're not following anymore. You have to keep moving with him. The Holy Spirit of God all through the Scripture is constantly moving. <laughs> Never stand still. And we have to be following. We have to be going with him. To stand still means he's leaving us. Sharing the gospel is a natural result of following him. Are you following him? The next thing is sharing the gospel with others is a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8, notice. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth when god's holy spirit enters your life at salvation and controls your life daily as you surrender to him you will receive power and that power will be manifested not in miracles and signs and wonders and ecstatic utterances and tongues you can't understand it will be manifest in the power to be a bold witness of jesus christ everywhere are you filled controlled led by god's holy spirit monday through saturday is the characteristic that god gives for those who are evident in your life share his message with the world you know if god's holy spirit by the way is not controlling you who is? Lastly, sharing the gospel with others demonstrates wisdom. Proverbs chapter 11, I referred to the beginning of that chapter earlier, says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that winneth souls is wise. Are you wise? A demonstration of wisdom is that you go out and win other people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's wisdom. Do you know what the Bible opposite of wisdom is? It's foolish. Don't, please don't get mad at me. I, you know, I didn't write it. I, I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to help us to see and to understand. Look, if, if our lives have been dormant, if we have been silent, if we have not taken the opportunity to, to experience and to demonstrate Christ's love and to vocally talk to other people about it, that end is coming one day. That day of reckoning is coming one day. We will stand before our Savior. We will give account for our lives. God forbid, what if it came this year? What if it came and he, he found us as we have been in the last month, two months, one year, doing or not doing whatever we've been doing or not doing? How would you fare? Because that day's coming. Are you wise? Listen, I, I realize... In this church, there's a lot of, a lot of y'all know this already, okay? But the theme is not knowers of the word. It's doers. You get that? It's doers of the word. And that's, that's what I want us to understand. That's what we've got to do. Love and share. And I saved the third one for last. And that's, that's the next point. It's the need of the hour. I am personally convinced 
based on biblical understanding, based on an observation of current events in the world we live in, that the hour in which we live is absolutely the last days before the rapture of the church. I believe that. Biblically, that time of the end, just before the end, is characterized by deception. It's characterized by apostasy, a falling away from a, a place of standing faithfulness. That, that's what the Bible says. Uh, Jesus, in Matthew chapter 24, his disciples come to him and they have some questions and there's a great discourse on the Mount of Olives where he talks about the end times and, and what it's going to be like. And really it's a description of this. Ultimately, a lot of those events will be in the tribulation. But, but he starts off the discussion like this in Matthew 24, verse 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. And it goes on with a lot of details. It's a great Bible study. But, but I just want to stop there and say, look, one of the things that's a characteristic of the end before he literally returns and sets up his kingdom and all the, all the great things that we read about in the good side of prophecy, there's going to be a lot of deception. There's going to be a lot of people who are deceived. Can, can I remind you, when we looked back in James chapter 1 and verse 22, when we first started this out about being doers, of the word it says and not hearers only deceiving your own selves deceiving your own selves it's not even somebody else who needs to deceive you if you look into god's word and see what it says and understand who you are and realize the requirements and you walk away and you just say yeah i know that and don't do it you're self-deceived and it's the characteristic of the end and the more widespread that we see it, the more it confirms the times in which we live. You see, a lot of people are deceived into thinking that they're okay. And they're not okay. And they, make, they may measure it based on any number of measures, just not the Bible. Listen, I understand that what I'm sharing with you in these cases, I mean, this, is not, this isn't your most popular feel-good message. I understand there's... You know, there's mega churches all around this country. You'll never hear a message like this in churches like that. Listen, we just want to be faithful to what God says. I just want to love you enough to tell you. And, and so that you can each have your responsibility and be able to answer before him. But if we go back to our balance diagram, the fulcrum, the thing on which everything balances, is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It comes out of Second Peter 3. And, and understand that we've got this, this one arm that's love and we've got the other arm that's share. But the whole thing is founded, it's based, it stands firmly on growing. It's the Word of God. It's growing in our relationship with Him. And if we're not growing in our relationship with Him, we will not love as He loved. If we're not growing in our relationship with Him, we will not share His message with the world. With the world excuse me. We have to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. These two arms don't balance on, there's nothing to balance on if you don't have the fulcrum. Just think about, just think about that for a minute. When we put this diagram together, listen, it's not on, a, on the illustration page of your Bible. We just put it together as a way to illustrate what God says. This is the foundation. This is the key to everything. And it says to grow in grace and knowledge. Now, we've kind of already covered that many of us 
have knowledge. Not that we can't always get more, and that's great, but we, have, we know some stuff, y'all. We know some stuff. But it's not just to grow in knowledge. It's to grow in grace and knowledge. Grace. Some people use it like an acronym. God's riches at Christ's expense. Maybe you've heard that. Grace is a gift. Grace is receiving something good that you don't deserve. Salvation is by grace. It's receiving something wonderful you don't deserve. We are to grow in knowledge, yes, but we are to grow in grace. That's the exercising of the knowledge that we have. It's the living it out. It's the doing of the word. The knowledge is the hearing, and that's good. But you have to then parlay that into actually doing something. In John chapter 1, it talks about Jesus Christ. And in defining who he is, it says that Jesus Christ is full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Let me ask you a question. I want you to respond to me. If you would honestly say, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but honestly, I think this is important. If you are here today and you would honestly say, I know that I've been saved. I've received Christ as my Savior. I am a follower of Christ. I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ already. Just raise your hand. Just hold it up. Raise your hand hold it up. Okay? So most all of you, okay, would say that. Now, for all of you that had your hands up, can I just... Can I just let you know that, do you, do you realize, all of you, the hedger, every one of you, awesome, by the way, do you know that God expects you to grow to full maturity? Do you understand that? Do you realize that some intermediate level, I've grown a little and that's enough and, you know, we'll let the specialists take it from here. I'm cool here where I'm at. Do, do, you may not say that out loud, but that attitude is absolutely unacceptable to God. Absolutely unacceptable. I know him as my Savior. I've received him as my Lord. I, I, I've give, surrendered my life to him. Awesome. Now begins the journey. Grow in grace and knowledge. We're going to look at one specific passage of Scripture that defines it as well as any. Ephesians chapter 4. And there are six verses, verse 11 to 16, and, and I picked all six verses because, well, quite frankly, in the Bible, it's all one sentence. And I think that's important to say because when you read through the Bible and sometimes we pull a verse out, it's only a fragment of a sentence. And I think to get God's context, we need the whole sentence. And so Ephesians 4, the sentence begins in verse 11, and the period doesn't show up till the end of verse 16. Notice what it says. And the context, by the way, is Jesus Christ his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension on high. It says in verse 11, and he, Jesus, gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists. He, he gave to the church. The context is the church, and Jesus is giving gifts to the church. And so he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, 
which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. That's a mouthful. I get it. If we just break it down simply and just look at the key elements, Jesus gives gifts to the church. And the specific gifts, in this context anyway, are gifted men, leaders, okay? I've been waiting all week to say this sentence. I am God's gift to you. (laughs) I know, I know. Y'all are like, dang. I had to say that, thank you. Um, You don't love all your gifts, I get it. But it is what it is. You know, you get some gifts, you're like, can I return this? I don't know. But that's, the, that's what he says in verse 11. And the job, the reason why God does that, truly, and gives leadership to a body, is so that the body can grow. So, so that the members can grow to full maturity, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we be no more children that we may grow up into him in some things. No, in all things, right? And that it deals with the entire church body. By the way, it's not just about you and your particular individual growth. It's about the whole body, right? That's, that's fitly framed together and joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth. You know how we would say that in today's modern language? The whole is the sum of its parts. The whole body needs to grow. The whole body needs to be built up. But that's only going to happen when the individual part, each indiv- which every part, every joint, every member supplies its part, and together, being joined together, fitly joined together, the whole body grows. That, that's clearly God's will for us. That's clearly what he wants. And the hindrance to that is that we somehow are deceived. Somehow we remain children, like it says in verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lay in wait to what? To deceive. And people are deceived into thinking they're okay and they're not okay. So we, your pastors, teachers, leaders in this church, take our job very seriously, all joking aside. And, and we have worked very hard to develop a system, okay, by which if you get involved, will facilitate real, sustainable spiritual growth in your life. It, it has to be a system. I'm a mechanical engineer. And, and, and we've, we've mapped out this system. It's actually on a poster in the hallway, and maybe you've seen it. It'll come on the screen. We call it the path of growth. And the path of growth has four steps, okay? Uh, On your way out, maybe you can look at that poster on your way out as well, but but there it is. And and so you see these things. And and, and the idea is this. It's very simple. Uh, It's also very biblical, by the way. If we took the time to break it all down, it's very biblical. You have a place to get on. You get on at the beginning, okay? And if you persevere, if you continue to step through the steps you absolutely will grow to full maturity and service and productivity 
and fruitfulness and therefore blessing and joy and contentment and peace and meaning and passion. Now, I want to take these one by one and just look at each one briefly. First one, to attend. Basically, what we're looking at is to demonstrate some faithfulness, to attend regularly when we meet together every Sunday morning. So y'all are here. Way to go. Awesome. Good start. Okay? So that's part of that, okay? Um, And not just Sunday mornings. I, I really believe this with my soul, and I can prove it biblically. And we've talked about it in the past, and I'm not going to go there in the detail today. It includes our midweek meetings as well. We call those life groups. And so step number one is to just simply show up. Just attend. Just be a faithful part. Just be in your place. Be a participant. Just, just be with us. Don't be out on your own. Don't be floating around on your own as you know, like a free electron floating around somewhere. Listen, be a part of the body. Be a part of who we are. Sunday mornings and in the middle of the week. The midweek life group literally is designed to be the place as we break into smaller groups of people who are at the same stage of life that we are where we can, listen, the Bible is full of things that it says, do this one unto another in the fear of God and the love of Christ and whatnot. And, and how we are to carry out our Christianity one to another cannot possibly be done in this room right now. There's about 700 of you all sitting in the same direction staring at me. <laughs> God's gift to you. <laughs> and uh, you're not doing the one another commands of Scripture here. You're doing the one another command. Now, some of the people in children's ministry today are, okay? But, but you aren't. I, we're not, right? So, but, but the one another things, that happens in life group. That happens in life group. And, and so step number one, just step one, forget two, three, four for now. Let's just be faithful. Just do that. Just show up. <laughs> Sunday morning, middle of the week. It's not unreasonable, okay? Now, and I want to give you some stats, okay? This is the, the vision update is our version of State of the Union. Uh, 867 people is the 2012 average Sunday morning 1030 attendance at First Baptist Church. 867 people. Write that down. No, it'll be a test. 672 average adults, 672 average adults and three exceptional adults. No, that's not, that's not it. 672 adults, 195 children. By the way, 195 children come to this church every week. Praise God for that. The life group average is a total of 273. That would be about 123 adults 